You can open up your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 13. We're going to be covering verses 31 through the end of the chapter today as we continue our study through the book of Luke, line by line, verse by verse. If you're visiting here with us today, we are really glad you're here. We hope that you have a God moment today. We hope that you enjoy the worship, enjoy the teaching, but that's kind of secondary. Our desire when we gather together is to meet God here, to let God really speak to us, challenge us, encourage us, and we hope that happens to you. And if you're at the point where you've attended the church for a little while and you would like to get more involved, we'd like to invite you to do that. We would love you to be a part of what we are doing as we are endeavoring to do Great Commission work. Uh, the best way to do that is to send a text, Calvary Connect, to 94000. You're going to get back a link. Click on that link. That's our connection card. Fill that out. We'll have pastors and leaders that will contact you based on how you fill that out. And, and then we'll direct you towards our connection classes. These are three classes. So if you're new to the church here, it just kind of helps you get a jump start on what we're doing, what our church is about, what your spiritual gifts are, and then how your skills and your talents and your gifts may be used here along with us to do the work that Jesus called us to do. So we want to give you that invitation. We would love you to be a part of that. Uh, we're going to be looking at the city of Jerusalem today in our study. I've got to say this. This is a, an information-heavy study. I, I didn't really realize that until I got like two-thirds of the way through last night and I looked out at the room. And after you've done this for like 37 years, you can tell whether or not you've lost people. And I'd realized I'd lost people. There was just, it was a lot of information. In fact, I have points in my text. I mean, in my notes, I have 12 points about Jerusalem in my notes. So I'm going to be reducing that some today, all right? And um, we're going to be talking about some information that we need to know about the city of Jerusalem, which is an absolutely amazing city. We'll talk more about that here in a moment. So let's pray. Let's ask God to bless this Bible study, and then we'll get into God's word. Father, thank you that you have given us your word, that it's inspired by you, that you have promised that you will preserve it from generation to generation, and that it's everything that we need for godliness, and it's for reproof, for correction, that we could be thoroughly equipped and lack in nothing. When it comes to spiritual issues, everything comes from Scripture and Scripture alone. And we're so thankful for that. We pray that your Holy Spirit would, would be our teacher today as we take a look at this city and Jesus talking about it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. So our verse-by-verse, line-by-line study through the book of Luke, which started in chapter 1, verse 1, and we are now in chapter 13, verse 31, verses 31 through 35, brings us to a point where Jesus talks about Jerusalem in two different events. And sometimes it can be confusing when you're reading the Gospels because in the, in the Middle East, in Eastern writings, when they're talking about people's lives, they will often bring together events that happen rather than telling it in chronological order. The way we like things is in chronological order. When I read a biography on someone that gets out of that, I always get wondering, when did this happen? I get confused. When did this happen? Did it happen before that or after that? I read a book by Deal about Deal Moody. It was a biography written about him. Rather than going chronologically through his life, which it kind of did, it went through relationships. So it talked about the relationship that he had with his family and then early uh, in his business career and then early as a pastor. Talked about Bliss and, and Spurgeon when he met Spurgeon and all these other things. And I found myself often confused. Well, here, these two things are brought up together because Jerusalem is mentioned. 
That's why they're coupled together here. It does, he's on his way to Jerusalem. We know that when he gets there, he's going to be coming down the Mount of Olives and he's going to weep over the city of Jerusalem. And that's mentioned here as he's making his way because he brings up Jerusalem in the account that we find in the first few verses of this chapter. So let's start there. Let's start by looking at verse uh, 31 in our text and we'll cover through 33. Then we're going to talk about the city of Jerusalem. We're going to do a survey through the Bible on the city of Jerusalem. It is mentioned, the city of Jerusalem itself is mentioned around 1,100 times. Eight, over 800 Jerusalem, the name Jerusalem. Then you've got Zion, the city of Zion. You've got Moriah, Mount Moriah. You've got it mentioned as that city or the city of God. So you've got it mentioned up, up close to 1,100 times. So this morning we're gonna cover 1,100 verses as we survey Jerusalem. Now you can see why I had 12 points in my notes because I'm trying to survey the city of Jerusalem. It's just too big of a topic. So um, Jesus is interacting. He's making his way to Jerusalem. He's got a crowd of people that are following him. He's interacting with different individuals. He's healing some. He's, he's answering questions to others. And here in verse 31, somebody from the crowd tells him that Herod is looking for him and Herod wants to kill him. This is not a joke because Herod has already killed John the Baptist. This Pharisee, whether he really cares about Jesus or not, is questionable, right? Because the Pharisees are his enemy. So, so let's read what it says and we'll talk a little bit more about it. So in verse 31, it says, on that, on that very day, some Pharisees came saying to him, get out and depart from here for Herod wants to kill you. Jesus is close to the city of Jerusalem. Jesus and the Pharisees haven't got along really well. There's some Pharisees, Nicodemus, Joseph of Arimathea. In the future from this, Saul of Tarsus became Paul, was a Pharisee as well. So there were some Pharisees that he interacted with well, and maybe they have a genuine heart here in saying, we heard that Herod's going to kill you. You better get out of here. Now, that can be scary to have some, someone all of a sudden threaten our lives. I don't know if you've ever had a death threat. In the 36 years that I've been here, I've had a couple of them. They're, they're a little bit disconcerting to have somebody say, I want to kill you when I get a chance. I'm going to kill you. It's like, oh, great. Let's add, let's add that to the rest of the stress in my life as well. So for Jesus to hear this could have been disconcerting, but Jesus knows something that you and I should know that we have an appointment when we're going to die. The Bible says it is appointed once for man to die and then comes judgment. God has an appointment for you. You, you are not going to die until that appointment is met. I, I run into some people over the past couple of years that have been scared of COVID, that they're going to die from COVID. Unless that's your appointment, then you don't got to worry about it. And you say, well, that's what I'm worried about, that it might be my appointment. <laughs> yeah, but there's nothing you can do about your appointment. Your appointment is your appointment and, and that's it. So Jesus's response is what our response should be, that I'm not going to die until God's done with me, unless I do something stupid. I could do something stupid that can move things up. I could go, you know what? God's got an appointment for me. I'm not going to die. So I'm just going to jump in front of this semi, see what happens. I'm going to be in heaven and God's going to say, you moved up your appointment. <laughs> I had an appointment. I don't know what, it's gonna, what, what it would have been, but I moved it up when I jumped in front of the truck. So we can tempt God. Jesus was tempted to throw himself off of the temple and have the angels hold him up, but that tempting him 
would have been moving his appointment up. But he knows he's got an appointment. So he says in verse 32, he said to them, go tell that fox. He now mentions Herod. There are a lot of different Herods in the New Testament, right? This is the Herod that killed John the Baptist. And, and, and the word fox here in the Greek is in the feminine. Go tell that vixen. Now that's worse in our day. If you tell someone, you say, you know, you fox, or you say, you vixen, vixen's worse. I don't know exactly what it meant in their culture. Remember, we miss a lot of cultural things that are said. But he says, go and tell that vixen. I can't imagine it was a positive. Go and tell that, that fox, behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow. And on the third day, I shall be perfected. What did he mean by the third day? When he would rise from the dead. Just the three days. He's saying, I know when I'm going to be perfected. I know when I'm going to die. I'm not going to die at the hands of Herod. I know that there's an appointment for me, just like we all have an appointment. Jesus had his appointment. The advantage that Jesus had, and maybe this is an advantage, is that he knew when it was. Now, if I knew when I was going to die, it might not be an advantage, right? Especially if it's like you're going to die in two months. No, it might be a disadvantage for me. But Jesus knew when it was. And so then he goes on to say, nevertheless, I must journey today and tomorrow and the following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish outside of Jerusalem. Now, Jesus uses a statement here that some have questioned whether or not it's accurate that no prophet has perished outside of Jerusalem. He's, it's a saying. It's not him trying to make an accurate statement. It's his saying, I've got to go to Jerusalem. That's where I'm going to die because that's where the prophets die. And, and for the majority of them, Jerusalem was the one, it was the, the, the leaders in Jerusalem who had killed the prophets over the years. So Jesus is saying, I'm going to Jerusalem and that's where I'm going to die. Now let's just talk about today a little bit. Let's talk about uh, the times that we're living in. Let's talk about the fear that some have that they're going to die. If you are in Christ, then God's got a plan for you. And whatever that appointed time is, it is going to be. A while back, I decided that I was going to get the shot and I'll, I haven't talked about it yet, but I'll just explain to you what my thought processes were. And I thought this would be good for us to cover because some of you guys are facing mandates. You, you are now, you're, you're mandated, you're gonna have to take it or you're gonna have to lose your job. And I'm not gonna tell you whether or not you should do that. I'm not telling you which one you should do. I think you need to be led by the Spirit. I think you need to pray. And, and let me just cover a couple of issues. Let me just tell you why I did it. So my thinking was, I'm not scared of COVID. I'm not scared if I'm gonna get it, that I'm gonna die. If I do die, it's because that was God's plan for me to die from COVID. I was gonna run into it and I was gonna die from it. But I'm not scared of it. So I'm not scared of, of COVID. I'm also not scared of the shot. And, and so I kind of weighed those two things. And on top of that, I thought about the election and how the, the I'm careful how I word this because things, you know, it's interesting the time that we live in. I'm going to ignore word, how I word it. I'm just going to word it, whatever. Um, but it's interesting the world that we're living in because you say certain things and they'll cancel it right? So this will be taken off of certain platforms on the internet if they, if they cancel it. So I'm going to forget about that now. If that happens, whatever. Let me talk to you guys right here now. And you are online right now, not in the future. Um, so the, um, when the vaccine was created, it was called Warp Speed, Project Warp Speed. Remember that? And so I think we could all be a little bit like, you know, Project Warp Speed. They made a vaccine that was called Project Warp Speed. Is this thing safe? I think that's a reasonable thing to think. I also know that Biden and Harris both said we are not going to take Trump's vaccine. 
So they said that. We are not going to take Trump's vaccine. So had Trump won the election, it would be the progressives not taking the vaccine and the conservatives taking the vaccine. That thought process made me go, am I just being political? Am, am I just carrying over what happened earlier in that year? And if it really would be flipped, and I think it would be, then I need to look at this in a little different light. And I began to pray whether or not I should take it. Just, just for, for the sake of that sooner or later, I'm going to run into it. I see a lot of people. Um, and so I decided to take it. Now, my wife was going to take it at the same time with me. And she had had a tetanus vaccine. And so they had told her, you can't take the vaccine. You can't get this vaccine after another vaccine. So she held off on it. And then, then she said to me after, you know, are you going to get the vaccine now? She was like, no, I'm not going to get it. I'm like, great. I decided to get it. Now you're not going to get it. Great. And then she prayed about it and she ended up getting it a little bit later on afterwards. Uh, but but my, my point is, is that you should seek God as to whether or not you should take it. And whether, if your job's on the line, then you really have to weigh that. I'm, I'm, I'm quite sure. I'm just going to talk honest now. I'm quite sure the wrong way to get people to take something that may be good for them is to tell them, take it or else. Take it or lose your job. And a lot of people are like, I'm out. I'm walking. I was looking for a job when I got this one. I'm out the door. And that's exactly what's happening to a lot of people. Should you take the vaccine? I don't know. I can't tell you. You need to pray and seek God. It may, see, God knows everything. And so God may know that you may need to take the vaccine. God may be moving on you and he may speak to you to take it because he knows that you would get sick from it and perhaps even die from it. So God would, would prompt you to take it. Someone else might have a problem with the vaccine and God would prompt them not to take the vaccine because of a problem that they would have with the vaccine. So we don't know our futures. So what do we do? We pray, we seek God, we make prayerful decisions because our lives are in God's hands. What a perfect, what a perfect picture. As Jesus says, I'm going to Jerusalem. You tell that fox, you know, go for it. I'm going to, I'm going to be here. I'm going to be healing people. I'm going to be curing people. And then I'm going to go and be perfected in Jerusalem. And there's nothing that he can do about it. And the same is true about your life. Your life as a Christian is in God's hands. I think even as not a Christian, you have an appointed time to die. And then there you will face judgment. So better make your peace with God right now. So the last thing Jesus says here is, so we'll see if this video gets yanked off of platforms. If we get, it'll be kind of a little bit of a badge. Hey, we got, uh, we got canceled. We're part of cancel culture now. We got, we got one of our services canceled. Um, all right, so Jesus brings up Jerusalem. Okay, it's not that a prophet should perish outside of Jerusalem. So let's consider the city of Jerusalem in a much, much briefer way than I have planned in my notes. Um, first of all, as I said, it's, it's the most important city in the, in the world. It's the Jerusalem is the most important city in the world. There is no city that is more important than it. During the days of Jesus, it had about 75,000 people. Today, there's close to a million people that live within Jerusalem. It is called in the Bible, the city of God. I told you that it's brought up around 1,100 times in the Bible, which is very significant. The second most mentioned city is the city of Babylon, and that is mentioned 200 times. By the way, Babylon is mentioned in prophecy, and, it, and Jerusalem is mentioned in prophecy. If there's one thing that we know, there's going to be a mystery Babylon, and I'm not quite sure what that is. We can talk about it at another time, but there's going to be a mystery Babylon, and the entire world is going to get rich off of mystery Babylon. It's some kind of a, of a monetary political system 
that causes people in the world to get rich and then it's destroyed during the tribulation period and the whole world mourns over the destruction of Mystery Babylon. And people say, well, what exactly is Mystery Babylon? I don't know. It's a mystery. <laughs> so I, I, don't, I don't know. I have my guesses, but it, it is a mystery. So uh, Jerusalem is incredibly significant. It's significant because way back in the days of Abraham, which is 4,000 years ago from today, he ran into the king of Jerusalem. This is way back in Genesis chapter 12, Genesis, uh, uh, excuse me, 14, verses 18 through 20. It says this, Then Melchizedek, the king of Salem. Salem is Jerusalem. And if you want a place for that in the Bible, that is in Psalms 76, verses 1 and 2. You can look it up and see Jerusalem mentioned as Salem there. It talks about in Salem, the tabernacle of God or the temple of God will be in Salem, which is Jerusalem. So Melchizedek is a strange person that walks onto the pages of Scripture and then walks off of the pages of Scripture and we don't know anything else about him. He's brought up in Genesis, he's brought up in Psalms, and he's brought up in Hebrews. And in Hebrews, we learn the most about him that Jesus is a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek because Jesus is from the tribe of Judah, not the tribe of Levi. He becomes our high priest because he gives his own body as the sacrifice for us. Hope I'm not losing you guys already. You guys are looking like you're trying to follow along. Okay, I gotta stay here. And so uh, it says here of Melchizedek, then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. So he meets him in, in, in a valley after he's rescued his nephew Lot that has been taken captive by some kings and Melchizedek shows up with bread and wine. Bread and wine is significant in Jerusalem because that's where they would celebrate the Passover and kill the Passover lamb and they would have a Passover meal where there would be bread and wine. And so Melchizedek shows up bringing bread and wine and it is in Jerusalem in an upper room that Jesus would meet during the Passover meal and make a new covenant of the Lord's table that you and I take together with the fruit of the vine and bread. So here comes Melchizedek, a king of Jerusalem, and he's bringing bread and wine. Do you know another king of Jerusalem who might bring bread and wine? So Melchizedek is at least a type of Christ. Some believe that he is an actual uh, theophany, Christophany, a Christ appearance in the Old Testament, that this is actually Christ. And we won't get into those details today. We've done it at other times. We'll do it again. So he brings bread and wine and he is the priest of God most high. Now we learn something else about Melchizedek. He is the king of Jerusalem, of Salem, before the city is ever occupied by Israel because Israel is still in Abraham's loins at this point. He meets Melchizedek before he's had Isaac. And so the, 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 the nation of Israel is not even being formed yet from Abraham. It will be, but not yet. And now we have a king who is also a priest. And never, you will look in vain to find a king who is a priest in the Old Testament in Jerusalem. A king of Israel who is also a priest. You will not find it. The only king of Jerusalem who is a priest and a prophet, by the way, is Jesus. He occupies all three. You will find kings who are prophets, but you will never find a king who is a priest. So you have this type of Jesus bringing bread and wine who is a king and a priest and you have Jesus that brings us bread and wine and he is a king and he is a priest. I don't know whether Melchizedek was a prophet, but we know that Jesus is. And it says that, and he blessed him saying, blessed be Abraham of God most high, possessor of heaven and earth, 
Melchizedek is a priest of God Most High. Abraham is of God Most High, and he blesses him. He says, And blessings be God Most High, who delivers your enemies into your hands, and he gave him a tithe of all. So Abraham tithes to this king of Jerusalem. This is the first place that it is ever brought up. Did you know also that there is a blessing that the Bible gives for those who are born in Jerusalem? And there are people when they are about to give birth who will make trips to Jerusalem to give birth to their children in Jerusalem to get this blessing. I'm not going to read it, but that's Psalms 87, 5 and 6, where, where it says that God is keeping a roll of those who are born in the city of Jerusalem. I don't know exactly what that blessing is. But it's also in Jerusalem that Abraham is called to sacrifice Isaac. And we know that this is a picture of God the Father giving his son on Mount Moriah in Jerusalem for our sins. This is not cosmic child abuse, as atheists will try to tell you today, that, that God sent his son to die and suffer on the cross and it's cosmic child abuse, like Jesus was a little bitty boy and he got nailed to the cross and, and God did it to him. And so it's cosmic child abuse. This is not, no. It is Jesus and the Father both deciding together that Jesus would give his life for our sins. He lays down his life, nothing is taken from him. Oftentimes, atheists will use catchphrases like that that will make us kind of stumble a little bit. But when you think it through, you go, mm, no, it wasn't cosmic child abuse. God was not committing child abuse when his wrath was poured out upon Jesus. It was a sacrifice. We honor people who sacrifice their lives for others, and rightfully so. And so Jesus sacrificed his life for us. The Father sacrificed his Son so we could have eternity. And we are blessed by the sacrifice that we have been given. But he was told to go to, the Mount, to Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah is where the Temple Mount is. So when you think of Jerusalem and you think of that, the beautiful area where the Dome of the Rock is, the Temple Mount, the Oscar Mosque, the East Gate that's there, that's Mount Moriah. One hill over is the Mount of Olives. And on the other side of that is Mount Zion. And so God sends Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac on Mount Moriah, where Jesus will be crucified on the foot of the mountain. You follow the outcropping of rocks down and you come to the place where Jesus was crucified on Mount Moriah. Now here's why it was so, it wasn't just a test. Abraham, go take your son, your only son, and sacrifice him to me. That's a test. And you and I would go, well, I don't know if I'm going to do that or not, God. I hear you saying it to me, but I don't know if I'm going to do it. But there's something else going on. God had told him that he was going to bless all nations through a descendant of Isaac. God had already told him that. This is a messianic prophecy. Through Isaac, through Sarah, and through her son, all nations are going to be blessed. So the Bible tells us that Abraham went to sacrifice his son believing, this is in Hebrews, believing that God was going to raise him from the dead because God can't be a liar. And so he figured, if I sacrifice my son, God's going to raise him from the dead, which is quite a picture when you realize that his son was risen from the dead in Jerusalem. It was at Jerusalem as well. By the way, the Holy Sepulcher, which is believed to be by some the place of Jesus's resurrection, and the, the garden tomb, which is believed by others to be uh, the place of Jesus' resurrection, are both on the bottom of Mount Moriah. Both of them are there. 
not far away from where Jesus would have been crucified, which was by the main road coming into the city. They took him outside the city walls and they crucified him there. Now, a couple more things about Jerusalem until we get into this last uh, place. God chose Jerusalem to put his name. God chose the city of Jerusalem as a place that he would put his name. God says, there's no other city that I've put my name, but I have chosen Jerusalem and David to be the king. And Jesus will sit on the throne of David in Jerusalem for a thousand years. We also know that in the end of the age, when Jerusalem is finally destroyed, that God's going to bring down a new Jerusalem. So we're going to, we, we will live, that'll be our headquarters. I don't know if we'll be restricted to the new Jerusalem, but we will live in the new Jerusalem, according to Revelation, forever and ever. Now, one more thing that I want to make sure I bring up about the city of Jerusalem. It is a prophetic sign that we are living in the last days. It is why I so confidently tell you that we are, I believe we are living in the last days. I'm not saying it's going to happen in five years or 10 years or one year. It could. I'd be surprised if it took any longer with the way things are moving now. Things are going so rapidly towards globalism. There's a, that, there's a huge move. And I, I want to talk about this in a sermon at some point. So many things to talk about, so little time. But there's a real move towards globalism. And the Bible tells us that in the last days, there's going to be a globalism movement that is ruled by one man who is the Antichrist. And we're seeing the world move towards that today. So Israel is the super sign. The Bible says in the last days, God will cause the nation of Israel to be reborn. They were destroyed in 70 AD by Titus, the, the future emperor, Titus, surrounded, sieged Jerusalem for four years in 66 to 70 AD. Then they, they broke through in 70 and they murdered hundreds of thousands of people. They were a frustrated army that had been kept out for four years and they went in and they leveled it and they murdered people who were in it and they took hundreds of thousands as slaves. Uh, they, they raped the women of the city. Josephus tells us what the Romans did when they broke through into the city of Jerusalem and completely destroyed it. Now, here's what Jesus knows. Had they received him as their Messiah, that wouldn't have happened. So he's going to weep over Jerusalem because they will not receive him as a Messiah. And throughout all of history, God has been at work to bring the people of Israel back to himself. Romans 11.25 says blindness in part, because there are those in Israel who do get saved, but blindness in part has happened to Israel until the time of the Gentiles is complete. Well, there's our phrase, the time of the Gentiles. God's dealing with the Gentiles now. He was dealing with Israel before Jesus. And then he shifted and began to deal with the Gentiles. That's most of us. And then he's going to take the church out of the way and he's going to deal again with the nation of Israel. That's what the tribulation period's all about. Jeremiah 37 says the tribulation period is a time of Jacob's trouble. It's not a time of the church's trouble. God's not mad at us, but God wants to bring Israel back and they are all going to be saved. Romans 11:35 again they are all going to be saved, which is absolutely amazing. So here's what Jesus says about Jerusalem in Luke 21. Luke 21, 24. He's talking about the destruction by the Romans. He's prophesying they're going to be surrounded. They're going to be destroyed. They're going to be dispersed around the world. All that happened. And then he says this, the end of 24. And Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is complete. 
the sign for you and I that we're coming to the end of the time of the Gentiles when the blindness is going to fall off the, the, the eyes of Israel and they're all going to be saved is the city of Jerusalem. It came under Israeli control. It, it was not part of Israel until 1967. It was taken in 70 AD, 1900 years later in 67, Jeru uh, Israel marched in to Jerusalem and took it captive. They took it from the Jordanians who they were at war with at the time. And then they gave back control of the Temple Mount to the Jordanians. And so today, technically, the Jordanians are overseeing the Temple Mount while Israel controls the rest of Jerusalem. And there is an east part of Jerusalem, which is highly Palestinian. And let me just say this about the Palestinians today. Do you know that there are, there's a large group of Palestinians who are Christian? Did you know that? I, I ran into a guy, um, he's a friend of mine, and um, we started talking about the Israel-Palestinian conflict. And, and he said to me, you do understand that there's another side besides just the Israel side, don't you? And I told him, yeah, I, I, I've been there a couple times to Israel. I was actually stoned by a few Palestinians. <laughs> Some Palestinians threw rocks at our group one time. You guys are like, I'm never going. No, it's actually fun. You should go. <laughs> it's a good time. It really is. Um, so the blinders are going to fall off Israel and Israel is going to come to their Messiah. They're going to become Christians. They have to become Christians. They got to come through Christ, right? Messiah, Christ, Christians. We are connected to Israel because we have believed in their Messiah. That's why we're called Christians. Christ is the Greek word for Messiah. So we are Messiahans, we could say in another way. And there's a huge move in, in Palestinian communities today where people are getting saved. God's saving Palestinians. See, we might choose sides. Nations might choose sides. People might choose sides as of which conflict it's on, but God's on both sides. God doesn't go, I want them and I don't want them. God's moving in an incredible way in the city of Jerusalem today. There are more Jews today that are getting saved than ever before. And there are more Palestinians today that are getting saved than ever before. And this ought to be really exciting to us as we move towards the time when the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. So the, the, the Temple Mount is falling under more and more control of Israel. East Jerusalem is falling more and more under control of Israel. And the time of the Gentiles is almost done. We should live like that. We should live knowing God's given us the city of Jerusalem being in under the control of Israel as a sign. And we should live that way. So now, now let's come to Jesus's weeping over Jerusalem. And remember again, this happens later on. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He's almost there. He's told, you know, Herod wants to kill you. You better get out of here. You better not hang out in Jerusalem. And Jesus is like, I'm going to be perfected there. And then in verse 34, and we know that Jesus is, is, is descending the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem when he stops and looks over this city. The city would have had the, the temple on top of the Temple Mount, which, which must have been amazing to see. I went to Jerusalem the first time in 1988. We had had the church for three years at the time. And I remember the first time I saw the city of Jerusalem, the actual old city. We went through a tunnel. This is what they'll do if, they, if you go to Jerusalem. They'll, they'll take you on a tour and you'll go through a tunnel and then they'll say, look to the left. And all of a sudden you'll look over to the left and there's the Temple Mount. The Dome of the Rock, that gold dome shining, the silver dome of the Alaska Mosque, the East Gate, you'll be able to see from there. And it's all that sandstone color of that old city 
which is absolutely amazing. It's an amazing thing to see. But as Jesus was coming down the Mount of Olives, facing the East Gate, seeing the temple above him, he didn't weep because of the city of Jerusalem. He didn't say, what a beautiful, incredible city. He wept because of the people that were in the city who within 40 years were going to be destroyed. We're going to be killed. He knew the temple would be leveled. He said it. He predicted it. Jesus himself said not one stone is going to stay upon another in this temple. That's Jesus' prophecy, a Jesus' prophecy. And so here's what Jesus does when he weeps over it. He says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you were not willing. See, your house is left to you desolate. And assuredly, I say to you, you shall not see me until the time comes when you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. As he enters into the city, he says, the day's going to come when I return and you are going to say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So here's what's going to happen to Israel. Quickly, by the way. <laughs> I don't have enough time to sum up, so let me just say it, all right? Uh, the, the rapture of the church is going to happen. The church is going to be taken out of the way because God's not angry at the church. God's going to pour his wrath down upon this world, and God's going to begin to work with Israel again to bring them back as a people. They are going to receive the Antichrist as their Messiah. Realize they made a mistake in the middle of the tribulation period, turn away from the Antichrist, and finally, during the tribulation period, this is why they're all going to be saved out of it, receive Jesus as their Savior. This is all of Israel. Now, I don't know whether all means every single person, but I know that all never means a few. So it's got to be the vast majority of the nation of Israel. So that when Jesus finally returns, the sky opens up and Jesus returns with all of his saints and he returns to the Mount of Olives, they are going to say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have all around the world, somewhere around 18 million Jews that live around the world. By the way, the population of Florida is about 20 million. So there's less Jews in the world today than the people that live in Florida. And the vast majority of them are going to receive Jesus as their Savior. And when I talk to someone who is Jewish and they are hesitant or they're angry, I'm just like, all right, we'll give you some time. We'll give you some time because God has a plan and it's in his time. And so he says, you killed the saints and the prophets and you will see me no more until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And what a great promise for the nation of Israel, for those who are living in Jerusalem today. And may we keep our eyes on the skies because God has given us a timetable and it has to do with the city of Jerusalem of when he's going to return. And we're coming close to that time now. All right. So stand with me, would you, and let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for the information that we were able to cover in this uh, study. We thank you that you've given us so much about the city of Jerusalem, uh, the, the place where you put your name and the work that you did. I also pray, Lord, for the Palestinians. I pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Lord, we pray for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray for the Palestinians that as many of them are coming to you now who are becoming Christians, that this would be just continue to take place and continue to happen. Lord, we also pray for the Jews that live in Israel. 
that they would give their lives to you as well. Those who live in America and around the world as well, that they would give their lives to you as well. That you would be doing a work with both of them because you are giving eternity to those who are in Israel, both Palestinian and Jewish. And what an absolutely amazing thing. We thank you for this and for your revelation of this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.